0: This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 296.
1: We'd like to thank MetPro for sponsoring this episode. MetPro is the nutrition and concierge coaching service that Trevor and I have been working with for the past few months, and we've been getting great results in both our energy and body composition goals. Listeners to this podcast can get a free 30 minute consultation to see what MetPro can do for you. To check it out, go over to metpro.co forward slash MTA. That's metpro.co forward slash MTA.
0: Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we inspire and empower you to go the distance. I'm Trevor.
1: And I'm Angie.
0: In this episode, we speak with Courtney DeWalter, winner of the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc, the most prestigious trail race in Europe. And she's won a bunch of other races too, by the way. And in this episode's quick tip segment, you will hear about nutrition strategies to build muscle and promote recovery. And, of course, you can get more help taking your running to the next level inside the academy. Also, check out our coaching services when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. So, Angie, you have all the races on the calendar necessary to complete your 50-state goal because you just signed up for a race in Vermont, right?
1: That's right. I'm signed up for the Norwich Marathon in Vermont on October 28th. So now I just have to run them all in order to meet my 50-state goal uh, in January at the Revel Kulia race in Hawaii. So, yeah.
0: No big deal. Just got four more marathons to run, right?
1: <laughs> That's right. What could go wrong? <laughs>
0: So now the marathon in Hawaii, which is on the big island uh, near Kona, it's called the Revel Kulia. That's going to be the grand finale. That'll be state number 50 for you.
1: Yeah, and I've had people ask me, so do you have any goals after your 50 states? You know, it's not like I'm going to close the marathon chapter of my life and move on to something else. <laughs> <laughs> I do have other goals, so, but very excited to reach this one that I've been working on for over 10 years now. And we'd love to have people from our community join us there if you can sneak away to Hawaii in January.
0: Yeah, that's right. Who wouldn't want to do that? Just escape the cold weather around that time and come to uh, Hawaii, run this race. I wish we had all kinds of crazy discount codes we can give you to save on travel and everything else, but we don't. It's going to be expensive, but it's Hawaii. So look on the bright (laughs) side. (laughs) But yeah, that's what's going on here. And I'm excited to be going to my marathon in about a week, going to Austria to run the Kaiser Marathon, a race that not many people have heard of outside of Austria, but it's going to be great. It's in the Alps. It's going to be tough, but I'm really looking forward to it. And speaking of tough, you guys are really going to enjoy our guest today, Courtney DeWalter. She is such an amazing runner. In fact, this is the lady who is sometimes just outright winning races, beating all the guys. And it really shows you that when it comes to long distance running, the differences between men and women get a lot slimmer, you know, compared to like shorter distances. I was just researching right before we jumped on the podcast, Angie, that the fastest female mile is like a 412, Whereas men have already, you know, gone way below four. I think the fastest mile was run by this Moroccan guy in like 3.43. So there's kind of a disparity there. But when you look at marathon times, Paula Radcliffe has run in 2.15. If you look at ultras, now um, ladies like Courtney are sometimes just winning outright or just finishing like second place overall. This is quite something.
1: Yeah, she's been somebody I've admired for a long time. So it was really super exciting to be able to have a conversation with her and just kind of dig into what makes her tick and all the things that she's accomplished.
0: Before we get into that, we would like to give some shout outs here to folks in the community just challenging themselves and reaching new milestones in their running. So Angie, what do you got for us?
1: Yeah, this note comes from Brody in the Academy. He says, hey, y'all, I'm a newish face here, and I'm excited to say I just finished my first half marathon, the Montgomery County, Maryland Parks Half, this weekend with a time of around two hours and 20 minutes. I'm still a bit overwhelmed by it all. Thank you, Angie and Trevor, truly the People's Marathon Podcast.
0: All right. well, Big congrats, Brody, on conquering your first half marathon, and uh, keep up the great work.
1: And this note comes from Tanya. She says, I only recently joined this group, but I must say how inspiring the posts are. Thanks for sharing all your accomplishments and challenges. I ran a half marathon in Bozeman, Montana in two hours and six minutes. It wasn't my best time, but I felt so good with knowing how to fuel properly. Thanks to MTA. I'm hoping to build on this for an upcoming first marathon. My son did the full marathon in three hours and 20 minutes and took first in his age group too.
0: Well, wow, her son's fast, isn't he?
1: He is. And I can just, as a mother, I can just imagine how proud she is of him because I know i would be super proud of my son just for running a marathon. But yeah, that was awesome. This note comes from Emily. She says, today I ran the Medieval Marathon in Kilkenny, Ireland. My goal was to just run and enjoy being in another country. But to my surprise, I ended up getting a PR by a few minutes. I came through the finish around four hours and 19 minutes, and my previous PR was 421.45. And this course had 900 feet more elevation gain compared to my other PR. I also stopped to take lots of photos. That said, I didn't run a very smart race. I went out really fast and it was mostly uphill for the first 13 miles. By the time I reached halfway, I was losing steam. I spent the second half of the race in the pain cave, but I couldn't help but revel in the fact that I was running in a most beautiful country. I have to, again, give thanks once again to MTA and MTA Coach Chris for getting me inspired and all trained up to PR, even when I wasn't having the best day.
0: That's awesome. Well, imagine what you can do on a flat course on a good day. Congrats on the PR, Emily, 419.15. That's a great time. So awesome to hear Of course, Coach Chris is uh, Chris Gallaty, who we've had on the podcast, and he's been on our coaching team here for a little while now. And we've got 10 coaches on the team helping runners of all levels train up for their running goals, whether it's to run the first marathon, first half, or to set a PR, qualify for Boston, train for an ultra. So, yeah, always love to hear these reports and helping people make the dream come true.
1: That's right. And speaking of dreams come true, we got a note from Bill. He says, I'm so thrilled to be officially accepted this morning for a Patriots Day rendezvous in Boston for 2020. It will be my first time at the Boston Marathon. Five years ago, I would not have believed I could even walk a marathon. Overcoming our self-limiting beliefs is a great opportunity for each of us. MTA Coach Dom helped get me to where I needed to be. I'm looking forward to this new adventure.
0: Wow. So Bill must have qualified by over five minutes.
1: That's right. Yeah. The people who are still waiting to hear are those who had a chance to apply this week who qualified by less than five minutes. So definitely there'll probably be a lot of people with bated breath. <laughs> well,
0: it seems like they're making it harder and harder to get in though because of the demand.
1: That's right. They just recently took another five minutes off of people's qualifying time. So definitely makes it more challenging. But hopefully with it being more demanding, that You qualify and you have a better chance of getting in. So I don't know. You know, I can see it from different people's perspectives.
0: Yeah. Well, congrats, Bill, on getting in. It's great to see your progress. And here's to a successful build up to uh, the Boston Marathon 2020. All right. Well, congrats to everyone out there taking action in your health and life. It's great to be on this running journey with you. We know you're going to enjoy this conversation with Courtney DeWalter. Before we play that for you, we'd like to thank Tiger Balm Active for sponsoring this episode. It's perfect for those hard to reach areas, those muscles that get sore they make something called the Tiger Balm Active Muscle Spray. You can spray it on areas like your back that are sometimes neglected. It's great for after workouts. They also make the Tiger Balm Active Muscle Rub for pre-workouts to get your muscles nice and warm. And then they have something called their Muscle Gel, which is great for post-workouts and easy-to-reach areas.
1: Yeah, we know that pushing outside your comfort zone does require some discomfort and... And so Tiger Balm Active is there to help your muscles feel a little bit better after those tough workouts. You can grab your Tiger Balm Active products, their muscle rub, muscle gel, and muscle spray by heading to a local Rite Aid, Walgreens, or CVS store. That's Tiger Balm Active over at Rite Aid, Walgreens, or CVS.
0: All right. We are really excited about the guest on this episode. Courtney DeWalter was just recently the first place female finisher at the UTMB the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc, which is a mountain trail race in the Alps that draws the top talent from around the world. It is like the the Super Bowl of ultra running over in Europe. As you're going to hear, she hasn't been doing this really that long, This referring to running ultra marathons. But uh, this lady has been on an absolute winning streak. If you look at her stats, uh, it's just amazing. I mean, she's often the first place female finisher. And sometimes she beats the first place guy by, you know, 30 minutes to an hour. We were curious, you know, just to see kind of what makes her tick. What's the secrets to her success? I don't know, Angie, that it's that easy to distill down. I mean, as you guys are going to hear, she's just a super positive person and just loves doing this. I think maybe one secret to her success is just her attitude.
1: That's right. And her ability to withstand suffering. (laughs) Yeah. For sure.
0: All right. So, without further ado, here's our conversation with Ultra Runner Courtney DeWalter. All right, we're on the podcast now with Courtney DeWalter, champion at UTMB. Courtney, it's an honor to have you on the MPA podcast.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: And, and where do you call home?
2: I am in Colorado. Yep, right outside Denver in Golden, Colorado.
0: That's where all the Ultra Runners live, right? <laughs> Colorado. Uh, yeah,
2: there's quite a few in Colorado. It's got some great terrain and awesome weather, so it's hard to beat.
0: You're just out there running up Green Mountain or somewhere and waving to your fellow <laughs> ultra legends that are out there. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: So for those who are not familiar with you, kind of take us back to when you started running. Um, tell us what that was like, and you know how you got into the crazy world of ultra distance.
2: Yeah. Oh boy, I don't know how far back to go, but <laughs> I grew up in Minnesota and I ran cross country and track there, um, and did some Nordic skiing, which then led me to the University of Denver, where I fell in love with Colorado. And uh, after college, I was just wanting an outlet to train for. So I did a couple road marathons. I liked the distance, um, but I wasn't like in love necessarily with the road part of it. And I happened to stumble across a 50k on trails, which is 31 miles, So I figured I might as well try it, and it kind of has just snowballed from there. Yeah, now I keep looking for the longer distances.
1: (laughs) And this has been fairly recent. I mean, I think I read that you did your first ultra maybe in 2011. So all of this has kind of happened in the last eight years.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's been a fun ride.
1: When you did that first 50K, I mean, were there times during it when you thought, this is awful, this is magical? I mean, did it kind of shift your mentality and then kind of help you
2: focus more on trails and stuff like that? Uh, I remember thinking it was really cool to be winding around these woods on trails all day. And the atmosphere was just really welcoming. I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I was still in like my Asics road shoes and just jumped right in. And I found it to be so lovely. Like the people and the atmosphere and the trails and um, moving that far with my feet was intriguing. So really quickly after that, I um, signed up for a 50 mile race, which seemed like the next logical step. <laughs> and I think that's where I like really fell in love with it. It was such a big undertaking and seemed like so impossible when I was standing at the start line. That to have finished it made me really excited about trying something else.
1: Yeah. Did you have an inkling when you were doing that 50 mile? You said you're kind of falling in love with the distance. That you would be really good at this thing called endurance running, or is that has kind of developed over the years?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I just survived the first 50 mile race, and uh, a year after that I tried my first hundred mile race, and I actually ended up dropping out because it started hurting, which. It should have been obvious that it would <laughs> <hurt>. <laughs> but it started hurting and I just quit. I thought a hundred miles is not for me. I can't do that. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it hasn't been smooth sailing, but I've found that I really, really love the, the long, seemingly impossible adventures of hundred mile plus
0: races. And then what'd you do after that, that hundred miler that you dropped out of what came next after that?
2: I got kind of mad and, <laughs> like, uh, disappointed in myself. I couldn't believe that I threw in the towel so quickly. Um, and then I started making a plan. So almost immediately I signed up for another 100-mile race the next year. Like a
0: redemption race. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> and basically was like, uh, how can I do this better to be more prepared for this distance and everything that goes into 100 miles? And then it became the mission. And the next year when I did one, when I started it, there was no even inkling or a tiny hint in my head that I would get to drop if it got hard. I was like, no matter what, if you're crawling on all fours, you're finishing this thing Hmm. because you got to finish what you start this time.
1: You didn't want to go back to the feeling of the previous 100 miler. um,
2: Yeah, Because it it does
1: hurt in the moment, but, you know, it hurts way longer if you feel like you haven't lived up to your potential.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I I think it just made me realize that ultra running and um, running in general is more than just a physical thing, that you also have mental strength you can use. Hmm.
1: From the outside, you seem like a pretty calm and relaxed person. I know you have a lot of inner drive, though. Do you have any personal practices that attribute to your ability to take things in stride or, you know, to have more of that relaxed uh, point of view? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't have any personal practices. No, I I don't know. It must have, like, been from my upbringing or I, I don't know what it stems from, but I try to – not fret about the things I can't control, and then the things I can control to like do them as best I can. Maybe
1: it's being raised in Minnesota. A lot of great people have come out of there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you can't control negative thirty degrees and blizzard. So
1: <laughs> it develops an inner fortitude, like we will get through winter yeah. again.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so that that second hundred miler, when you told yourself. Okay, I don't care if I have to crawl. I'm gonna get through this. I'm assuming that you got through it. How did that one go?
2: <laughs> I did get through it. Yeah, I mean, there were points where I was crawling for sure. It was really hard. Wow. And uh, I think for the last ten miles of the race, I was just crying because it hurt so bad, and I wanted to be done so bad. Wow. Um, but finishing it was, yeah, it just felt so satisfying and made me then want to try again and do it better.
0: And and which race was that?
2: The 100 that I finished was Superior 100 in Minnesota, along the Superior Hiking Trail.
0: And when you said that it it just hurt so bad that you were in tears, what what was hurting? Everything or something?
2: Everything, yeah, (laughs) yeah. My body was hurting, Uh, my brain was hurting, I was so sleepy, and uh, I was experiencing all these things basically for the first time. So it was all kind of like shocking to the system, I guess.
1: (laughs) Mm. So now going into a race, I mean, you've got multiple ultras under your belt. So you know, going into a race that it's going to hurt at some point. Um, You know, how do you deal with that mentally or physically when you're in that pain cave? Um, Do you have any favorite mantras? Or what do you tell yourself?
2: Yeah, uh, going into races now, I I know it's going to hurt. And that's Yeah, physically, there's going to be some discomfort throughout it. But that's when the mental piece is really important. And our brains can help us overcome so much. So if we just can trick ourselves into, you know, believing something, then oftentimes it actually translates through your body and and you keep moving just fine. So a lot of times I'll just be repeating to myself that you're fine. This is fine. Everything you're feeling is fine. Um, And that goes for like if I'm flying high, you know, and feeling really good, or if I'm puking in a bush, I'll be saying <laughs> the same thing just because it's important, I think, to not stress about what's going on, like this is the situation, and it's fine, just keep moving,
1: kind of like don't let the highs take you too high or the lows take you too low, maybe, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: trying to stay somewhere in the middle there.
1: <laughs> I like that mantra because sometimes you know, when you're in pain, and you're kind of mentally overloaded even, and it just, you just need the simple things, just reassuring yourself that you're fine, you're going to get through this, and sometimes even thinking back, if your mind allows you to, to times that you have overcome similar challenges, I think can be
2: really helpful. Yeah, for, for sure. People. <laughs> yeah.
0: Do you ever tell yourself, okay, just get through this one, and you don't have to ever do it again? <laughs>
2: No.
1: I've never had that thought. Okay. That is not the mindset of a champion.
0: <laughs> That's what works to get me through a marathon. I know That's I know I'm, I'll never
1: be on the elite stage. I know,
0: <laughs> I know I'm BSing myself cuz I know I'm going to do it again, but in the moment I'm like, okay, just this is the last one, just make it through it. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not the same, but sometimes I will have the thought like you're going to be in pain for five more hours or whatever. You can handle five more hours or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but it's never like this will be the, the end of the line for me. <laughs> I just love it so much.
0: There you go. That's yeah, that's the magic because she just loves it. I mean, you got to find the joy in it, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There has to be a reason to put yourself through that pain. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I was reading that in 2017, you were doing the Run Rabbit Run 100, and that you temporarily went blind during the last 12 miles. And we're not talking like a road race here. We're talking technical course. So the article I was reading didn't really give me any details. So I'm really curious what caused that and how did you get through it?
0: Me too. Yeah,
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't recommend it. But (laughs) if it does happen, you can keep going. Um, so they call it corneal edema. Basically, there was some swelling in my eyes that caused whiteness to kind of creep in from the sides. And eventually it closed in and my whole vision in front of me was white. So I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. But if I looked straight down, I could see right in front of my toes. And so I was just trying to navigate the trails as quickly as possible looking straight down which is not an ideal situation but
1: (laughs) (laughs) like literally one step at a time was all you could do probably
2: (laughs) yeah yeah but I was still trying to move pretty quickly so I was falling everywhere I was just tripping on every rock and root there was because I couldn't really plan for them in my steps but yeah I think the consensus was that it happened because of a combination of things I wear contact lenses and so they were, you know, trapping dust throughout the course of the hundred mile race. Um, I was also not taking in calories very well, so I wasn't able to fight it, I guess, with my body. And uh, I mean, a whole combination, but it was cold and dry and whatever.
1: So. Your body's like one way or another, we're gonna shut her down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: like,
0: well, well that didn't eye, work.
1: So.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've been freaking out.
2: Yeah. It was weird, but it didn't make me think I had I had to stop. I was just trying to problem solve with mm. how to get through it because it seemed like the end was so close that it would be a shame to not finish the race. Otherwise, I'd be just sitting on a rock out in the middle of the mountains by myself waiting for what? <laughs> my-
0: waiting for the next person who's probably like 20 miles behind you. Right?
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So yeah, it didn't cross my mind to stop, but looking back on it, it is lucky that... It ended as well as it did.
0: Did you end up winning that race? I did, yeah. So has it happened since?
2: I started to get kind of the beginning symptoms of it at um, Tahoe 200 last year, where it was like whiteness kind of creeping in on the sides. And so my crew and I just tried to get ahead of it and stop it before it closed in. (laughs) (laughs) I did some like really simple sugars just for the quick energy. And uh, eye drops have been recommended to keep flushing through the dirt and keeping my eyes nice and wet. And then I've been told to wear protective eyewear now during the day and the night when I race.
1: Wow!
0: Hmm. So a moment ago, you you said you just love doing this, and what yeah. <laughs> what, um, what aspects of it do you love?
2: I realize it's all sounding very crazy.
1: (laughs) No, no, you're in good company. I mean, we...
2: Yeah, Yeah, perfect. I love um, the challenge and pushing myself. And I I love like finding, you know, how deep in the pain cave I can go every time I race and uh, just gathering more experiences of um, physically what's possible, but also mentally what's possible for the next challenge. I love... Uh, those beautiful places. I love exploring with my feet. Um, And I love the community. I think the trail running community is just so welcoming and um, helpful. And I mean, that was kind of what hooked me in that first 50 mile race I did. We were in hail and like sideways sleet. And uh, I tripped in this mud puddle. (laughs) And someone in front of me ran back and offered me their hand to pull me up and get me going again and I just thought that was so cool like what other sport does that sort of thing happen all the time like it wasn't just a rare occurrence it happens every single time and I I think that's so special
0: yeah it is so what what's been the hardest race that you've done so far do you think
2: hard to say that uh (laughs) They're all hard in different ways. Yeah,
0: I mean, you ran, you ran the Moab 240, which is 200, actually 238 miles, right? Yep. What's the course cut off on a race that long?
2: That one might be 80 hours or something. I'm not
0: sure. So you're going... Yeah, I don't remember. You're going for a couple days without sleep.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Wow. Or just grabbing little amounts of sleep whenever you need it or can.
0: Is that how you did it? Did you like take little power naps?
2: Yeah. So that was my first, uh, 200 mile race and I didn't really have a plan, but I wanted to try to not sleep. So the whole first 36 hours that worked fine. Um, but I got into that second night and I was falling asleep out on the trail. So I laid down for 20 minutes at an aid station and I tried to sleep, which didn't work very well. (laughs) I was just really uncomfortable and, Mm. Uh, kind of in race mode. Um, but then down the trail a few more miles, I ended up sleeping on the trail for one minute. And the one minute nap was fully rejuvenating. It was <laughs> wow. crazy. So I slept or I laid down in that one for 21 minutes. What is your fueling
1: strategy during, you know, multi day events? I mean, do you kind of just see what feels good. what you know, what sounds good. Do you really like try to get in calories every certain number of minutes? Or what do you do for that?
2: I don't do anything with minutes or paying attention to it that closely. I just try to slow drip calories constantly. So it'll be like tiny bites of things or sips of things to um, keep them going in. For something like that, it is totally just what you can get in and what sounds good. So not much structure to nutrition for something so long. Right.
1: But I'm sure the continual drip of calories keeps, you know, your system from getting too empty or too full at a time, which, both things can cause GI distress or not having the energy that you need.
0: And you also won that race. That's awesome. And have you done any race further than that yet?
2: Last year, I did a race that's um, called a a backyard format or a last person standing format. And in that one, I made it 279 miles.
0: And how long did that take you?
2: Uh, That was almost 70 hours, I guess. Wow. So the format for that one is a four-mile loop, and every hour you do one loop. And then whatever time you have left over, you sit and you, you eat or you rest or you change or whatever you need at that time. And then the next hour, everyone starts again. And it just goes until no one is willing to start again.
1: <laughs> huh. That's what if you don't make it around the loop in the hour? Does that disqualify you as well?
2: Yep. Okay, And you're out. Mm-hmm. So you can get out by missing the cutoff or by just dropping out yourself.
1: It seems like that would be really super challenging because I know personally, not that I've done any long, long distance ultras, but like sitting down for me is the worst. <laughs> like I'd yeah. rather like stay standing because if I sit, then Hard it's to get like, up again.
0: Oh. <laughs> oh, I love sitting down. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, It's a crazy format.
0: Last man standing. You said the loop was four miles.
2: Uh, it's four point something. So okay. that every 24 hours, it equals exactly a hundred miles.
0: So then you're kind of like looking at your competition thinking, when are they going to drop out?
2: Yeah, you're with each other the whole time because uh, normally in trail races, everyone spreads out so much that you're kind of like out in the middle of nowhere by yourself and on this kind of solo journey. But this one, every hour you restart with everyone who's willing to do another lap. So it was cool and crazy and uh, a really fun challenge.
1: Was there kind of some of that joking like trash talk like, oh, you don't want to do another loop, do you? (laughs) Try to get yeah,
2: in people's Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I was uh, I couldn't I didn't do very well at the mind games. I was just like, Yeah, get back on the line, do it again. <laughs> but yeah. I think I think you could have some fun with that if if you were able.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine you doing that. You seem like such a positive person.
2: Minnesota nice. <laughs> yeah. Right exactly.
0: But maybe that was the strategy is like people look at you and like, oh, she's in such good spirits. She's gonna go forever. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: That got in people's heads probably, I Can't break like, her. <laughs> yeah. Look how happy she is. So you have this like trademark look, the, the baggy shorts. Is that your look? What's with the baggy shorts?
2: <laughs> I'm sure everyone asks you that, right? <laughs> it's it's pure comfort. I grew up uh, always preferring longer, comfier clothes. Um, and yeah, I see no reason to change. I don't need to be aerodynamic for 200 miles. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> For me, it's just uh, total comfort. And if I'm comfortable in what I'm wearing, then I'm not fidgeting with my clothes all the time out on the trail. And it's one less thing to to spend energy thinking about.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. If you're feeling comfortable, then you are be more confident and just focused on the
2: task at hand. So,
0: Do you have lucky shorts now?
2: (laughs) I don't know, but I have some pairs that I really love.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we have a lot of people that run trails and stuff. So do you have any like go-to pieces of gear that you really like uh, for trail running?
2: Yeah. Oh, so many. I uh, wear Solomon trail shoes, and I think those are fantastic. And I think a big uh, discovery for me was keeping my feet happy. Um, So I used to get tons of blisters and have real problems with my feet during the longer events, but I've been doing a combination of squirrels nut butter which is like an anti-chafe. Um, and then uh, in gingy socks. So the toe socks and that combination on my feet for every race. Now, I mean, 279 miles, I had zero blisters or hot spots. So, so
1: do you coat your whole feet with the squirrel's nut butter pretty much? Yeah, like slide
2: on that toe sock. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> what about hydration vest?
2: Yeah, I use a Salomon hydration vest, so it has the bottles in the front, um, which currently I prefer to the bladder in the back. I just like how it it sits on the front versus like a weight, making your back really sweaty. Right, (laughs) exactly.
0: So let's talk about the Ultra Marathon du Mont Blanc. Uh, This is...
2: Nice pronunciation.
0: (laughs) Oh, thank you.
1: I think you practiced.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is like, this is a big deal. This is like the most prestigious ultra race in Europe.
2: It's 106 miles around Mont Blanc, which is a very large mountain in France, um, but it also spreads into Italy and Switzerland. So the race starts in Chamonix in France, and you make a loop that takes you into Italy, into Switzerland, and then back into France.
0: It's got to be just so stunningly beautiful there in the Alps.
2: Oh, it's so beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: And people hike it. It, Yeah. But it takes them like eleven days to hike and you guys are running this in like twenty hours, but it takes people eleven days to hike the trail to Mount Blanc, right?
2: I mean, depending, I guess, on how many stops you make for wine and cheese. But
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's my new bucket list thing right there.
2: The wine and cheese part? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, hike the whole Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. It has it's thirty three thousand feet of climbing in the hundred and six miles, which is a lot. Like it's Basically just up and then down, up and down. So not too many flat sections.
1: Is this an ultra that you
2: have to qualify to get into? Yep. You um, have to do some different qualifying races and then you put in a lottery to try and get drawn. But still on the start line for the 100 mile distance, there were over 2000 runners. So it's quite large. Yeah.
0: That's probably one of the biggest ultras in the world then.
2: I think there's some that are a little bit bigger, but this is a big one. So how long does it take before
1: it narrows into like more single track stuff? I mean with a field that big, you know, you don't want it to be single track right away or you're going to be tripping over people. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. There were definitely a couple miles. I don't remember exactly, but the first maybe 3 or 4 miles were um a wider kind of dirt path.
0: How many days or weeks before the race, did you get there to kind of get acclimated and study the course and all those things that the, the champions do?
2: <laughs> I got to town on Tuesday and the race started on Friday. So I didn't do that very well. <laughs> no. There's information out there. So the profile I could uh, look at and, you know, different course reports from different sections. But In an ideal world, yeah, I would have gotten there earlier, and I would have gone out and trained on the course some, but the situation was that I couldn't get there any earlier, and so it was one of those things that I couldn't control. Mm -hmm. And so it was uh, just not worrying about it. The trail is going to do what it does, and I'm going to just keep going as efficiently as I can until the finish line.
0: So how did you race it? Did you kind of push the lead, or did you kind of hang back and wait for your moment, or...?
2: Uh I just gauged off of internal effort and how it felt and didn't worry about where in the field that put me. Okay. Yeah, basically the whole time it was just this is what feels sustainable, so I'll hold it here and let's see what happens.
0: Just kind of listening to your body instead of just looking at your watch.
2: Yeah, I'm not a I'm not big on looking at my watch. I think I, over the years I've gotten a pretty good gauge on, on what's going on and where on my like effort level I'm sitting at at a current part so uh based off of that I try and just hold her steady <laughs>
0: <laughs> so during this race did you have to get into a pain cave um at any time I'm sure you did but like oh, yeah. where <laughs> yeah. where was that where was the pain cave moments at in this race
2: yeah I went into it at about mile 70 oh, and wow. spent the last 50k just hanging out in the pain cave <laughs> <laughs> It got pretty difficult. I um, I was totally depleted and fatigued and uh, it was just surviving those last big climbs at the end to mm. get to the finish line.
0: Did you have a crew with you?
2: I did, yeah. My husband came and a couple of friends were there.
0: Right on. How much support are they allowed to give?
2: Um, I think they could go to five aid stations over the course of the 105 miles. So um, not tons of support, but it was cool to have them out there and, and they were just enjoying the sights and the croissants. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Probably lifted your spirits to see them having a good time there. and <laughs> Oh, for
0: sure. Yeah. At, w- at what point did you know or did you realize, I'm going to win this thing?
2: Uh, I have a thing where um, I don't really let myself think that until basically I can see the finish line. Hmm. Um, just because... So many things can happen and ultras are pretty unpredictable, especially as the distances get longer. So I don't like to count my chickens before they hatch. It's
1: like one bad fall and, you know, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Or like you lose your
0: vision or, yeah. (laughs) Or like Jim Walmsley, the one year took a a wrong turn at Western States. He was like 90 miles into the race, wasn't he?
2: Yeah. He was really close to the finish and then, yeah, yeah.
0: Anything can happen, probably the same thing in a marathon,
1: yeah, I'm sure any any distance really, I think you can only control so much. It's like you can put in the work, um but you know you can't control the weather, you can't control other people out there. Can't necessarily exactly. control how your body is doing, you know, so you only can control yeah. a certain amount, um, you know, hopefully your mind and your yeah. determination, <laughs> that's hopefully under our control, but you try to enjoy the journey and keep the best mindset that you can and good things can
2: happen. That's exactly it.
0: How just crazy was it after you crossed the finish line? What was the response and was there like a media blitz and all this attention? Or? <laughs> yeah.
1: What's the atmosphere like there? I mean, how many people are at the finish line?
2: Yeah, it's insane. I mean... You enter back into Chamonix where it finishes and the streets of the town are just lined for, I mean, it had to have been at, at least a kilometer of people lining the streets, giving high fives. Um, so it was a more insane finish line than I've ever seen.
0: Do you pretty much do this full time or do you do you work also?
2: Currently, this is what I do full time.
0: Right yep. on, right
2: on. Not bad. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Good gig.
0: And, and what do you have coming up Next.
2: The 24-hour world championships are at the end of October. Um, So I'll be competing on Team USA uh, in France. They're being held. So 24-hour race format is usually a small loop, and you do as many laps of it as you can in 24 hours. Highest distance wins.
1: Highest team cumulative.
2: Yep. So for the team competition, they take the top three from each team. Our women's team has six on it. Um, But there's also then the individual competition Mm. as well kind of like cross-country running okay so this is a one kilometer loop this this one sometimes they're on tracks this is a road loop
0: who else is on the team
2: uh the current world record holder is an american camille heron um so she'll she'll be on the team um as well as a couple members from our u.s team two years ago they hold these championships every two years yeah it's going to be a fantastic team, I think.
0: We had um, Camille Heron on the podcast a few years back after she won the Route 66 Marathon wearing a Spider-Man costume.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so fun? she's gotten more into ultras lately mm-hmm. um, and yeah. is just crushing like these 24-hour races or comrades, stuff like that. She's right. doing really amazing
0: just a, a quick question or two about your training. I know you, you go a lot according to feel and listening to your body, and that's something that we've talked about on the podcast quite a bit is the art of listening to one's body. So how many miles a week do you run?
2: Uh, when I'm in the thick of it, I guess uh, somewhere between 100 and 120 miles per week. Do you primarily do trail
1: miles or is it dependent on the race that you're, you're preparing for?
2: Uh, Mostly trail miles but uh, I enjoy cruising around on the roads too so just based on feel whatever sounds good when I leave the house. I'm lucky to be in Colorado where I am because there's so many options.
0: So that much running per week does it ever get boring? Uh, No. That's awesome.
2: Yeah I love it so.
0: Do you listen to music or podcasts or anything when you run?
2: Not usually, no. Sometimes, if I'm if I know I'm going to stay on the road or the bike path for the run, I'll wear headphones. Just depending on my mood, but um, out, out on the trails, I don't listen to music. I just love I love the silence out there and uh, just being in nature. And uh, I entertain myself quite a bit, so. <laughs> I do a lot of joke telling to myself, but I also think <laughs>
1: you have to enjoy your own company to be a long distance runner. Really? Yeah.
2: yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, a lot of times when I'm running people, it's like normal work hours. So people are working and so there's no option to go with somebody. So yeah, I also, though, think it's important to staff off your headphones on trails because of the wildlife and just being aware of your surroundings.
0: And now that there's been a couple short films made about you and you seem really comfortable uh, in front of the camera, <laughs> what was, what was the, uh, the most recent one, the Solomon film that just came out? We'll, we'll send people over to it that listen to this.
2: Yeah, thanks. Um, it's on Solomon TV on YouTube and it's called Ultra Addict and it follows my journey around Lake Tahoe last year at the Tahoe 200.
0: I watched it on the day that it it came out.
2: Well, thank you.
0: And just folks that listen to this, when uh, Courtney talked about everything hurting and being in the pain cave at the end of these races, go and watch that Ultra Addict movie because it really (laughs) shows that really well. You'll
2: you'll see it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So do you have any advice for someone who's considering running their first Ultra? I mean, maybe they've done the marathon distance and they're like, oh, this sounds really cool and kind of scary. You know, what would you tell them?
2: Yeah, it's all those things. um, And you should go for it. It's a cool challenge. I think anyone can do an ultra. You have to be patient as you build up in distance. And especially if you've been running on the roads, you got to be patient with yourself as you figure out how to run on trails, because it's a little bit different. The first couple of years, I fell all the time on the trails, and I still fall quite a bit. Hmm. But yeah, you got to pick up your feet a little more than on road running and then just be consistent and get out the door and and you'll be ready for that ultra it's so cool i i highly encourage everyone to try one
0: have you ever laid down under a tree during ultra that's how my first one went (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) see see angie i'm in good company that's right (laughs) i did my first ultra this summer and i laid down under a tree at about mile 25
2: and did it help
0: yeah there you go helped me mentally
2: (laughs) Perfect. You do
1: you, right? That's right. <laughs>
0: all right. Well, it's an honor to talk to you, Courtney. And thanks for all the inspiration that you're providing to runners out there. It's awesome.
1: Thanks for having me. It was nice to meet you guys. Yeah, and good luck at the uh, World Championships coming up. That's right. We'll be following that for sure and know that you'll do great. Thank you.
0: you get to go back to France. How cool is that? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much. Thanks, you guys. Have a good one.
0: All right, well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Courtney. And you can go over to YouTube and still watch the video that we referred to. I'll we'll also link to it uh, in the show notes. It's called Ultra Addict. It's about this 200-mile ultra run around Lake Tahoe, which is a beautiful area. I used to go and ski there when I was a kid. And Courtney uh, was a second-place overall finisher. There was one man who finished ahead of her, and he was only like 30 minutes ahead of her. But she actually led the race for most of the time. But really, you could see the pain cave that she put herself in or the race put her in, but it's good stuff.
1: Yeah, definitely very inspirational. And just talking with Courtney and hearing her perspective on pain reminded me of a great quote from author and runner, Haruki Murakami, on his book, What I Think About When I Think About Running. Just kind of a more of a thoughtful book about running um, for those who haven't read it. Uh, He says, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Say you're running and you think, man, this hurts. I can't take it anymore. The hurt part is the unavoidable reality, but whether or not you can stand anymore is up to the runner himself. Wow. And you could put Courtney's picture right there because she goes deep into the pain cave and she's just decided that she can take it. You know, she can stand as much as the race is going to dish out.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, we could all learn from that. Even if you never plan on running an ultra marathon, you just think it's way beyond you. It's crazy. You know, we all get in pain caves in marathons. I mean, I, I certainly do. And the type of mindset, that Courtney embodies and other runners like her. is just, it's helpful to me as a mortal, a mere mortal. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> to remember that stuff when I'm going through my pain cave. All right, well, now we want to tackle a question about nutrition strategies for building muscle and promoting recovery. You know that nutrition is an important component of marathon training. And joining us now on the podcast is going to be Angelo Poli, who is a metabolism expert, and he's the founder of MetPro, which is a company we've been working with. And we had Angelo on the podcast for a whole episode back in December. He talked about how the body's metabolism works, how to get it firing up again. It was one of our most popular episodes. And so we are excited to have him back to uh, handle this question. He's just a really gracious guy, very knowledgeable. And MetPro is legit, man. I mean, this is a program that, Angie, you've been seeing amazing results with.
1: Yeah, I just can't say enough good about what MetPro has done for my fitness, um, getting my nutrition dialed in, and of course, being able to lose fat, which was was something that I had felt stuck with for a couple of years.
0: I didn't know anybody that exercised as much as you did. I mean you were always faithful. I mean you love to exercise. It's like in your DNA.
1: And I love to eat healthy too. So it's yeah. not like I was you know like going to the McDonald's drive through twenty four seven.
0: But your metabolism was broken.
1: Yeah, and I had a hormonal imbalance and needed to get things back on track. But I honestly was at a loss, could not do it myself, even though I'm the type of person who likes to do things myself. So when MetPro came along and we started working with a nutrition coach, I was very skeptical. It was like, okay, you know, I'll try it. I'll I'll do my best, but I don't really think this is going to (laughs) work. I remember that. It was right before Thanksgiving, and I'm like, this is not even going to work, and it's going to ruin my whole holidays.
0: <laughs> I'm like, just give it a try. I think these people really know what they're talking about.
1: <laughs> so months later, I can say they definitely know what they're talking about. I've lost 31 pounds. My marathon times have dropped. I feel amazing. So
0: You look amazing.
1: Thank you. <laughs> But anyway, we are 100% behind what they're doing, helping people every day to get their nutrition dialed in so people can start feeling like themselves again.
0: And you can tell Angelo is a real teacher at heart. So we're excited to have him join us to answer this question. Are there strategies for building muscle and promoting recovery? All right, now we're on the line with Angelo Pulley from MetPro. Angelo, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Trevor. Thanks for having me. So glad we can have you on to answer this question. Are there specific dietary strategies for building muscle and supporting recovery?
3: There are. <laughs> so I thought you would say like that. A, <laughs> so I've got good news and bad news. Um, so the good news is there are principles and very, very specific strategies that will force your body to adapt the way that you want. Um, the bad news is it, it isn't simple to identify the exact spot for each person. There's not a one size fits all. And so what we do at MetPro is we put people on a baseline or sometimes we refer to them as benchmark meal plans. And um, and you can do a simple, a stripped down version of this even at home. What what that is, is basically having a set routine and then comparing your results against it. And what you're going to find is that no two people are alike. Some people require more fuel to add muscle. They simply need more carbohydrates. They need more protein. Other people, and your body type plays, you know, big uh, ways heavily into this equation, uh, may not need as many calories to still be able to add lean mass, but you're going to be able to identify that if you log and track and know what you're taking in. So, probably, and I'm going to give you a few tips on this, but the very top of that hierarchy is going to be evaluating what you're currently doing. So that way you can identify whether you need to increase or decrease.
1: So you get that baseline, right?
3: Get that baseline. And that, that tells us so much. Some people come into it eating a lot more. Some people are already have been dieting or have just lost a bunch of weight. And so what their needs to add lean mass are different. Within that, now here's the principles that are across the board going to apply to everyone. So what we're talking about is proteins and carbs. So proteins, as most people are familiar with, are the building blocks. That's what's going to actually help you synthesize new lean mass in your, in your body. But carbohydrates are a little more misunderstood. Carbohydrates are actually the Energy or fuel that you're going to use to replenish, restock your muscle energy reserves. So, if you're doing a lot of training, whether it's resistance training or a combination of resistance training and running, you're going to deplete those reserves in the form of glucose or glycogen stores. And without carbohydrate consumption, you're not going to fully replenish. And each gram of glucose or, or glycogen that's stored in your muscles is also buffered with a few grams of water. So it's kind of a whole package where your body gets the hydration and materials it needs to continue going. So carbohydrates are also critical proteins, you can kind of spread out throughout the day, and if, you know, the the timing is a little off, overall, if you're getting enough protein on a daily and weekly basis, you're going to roughly have the building blocks you need to add muscle. With carbohydrates, they're going to be a little bit more time sensitive. In other words, even if you get plenty of carbs uh, in one shot, if you go, you know, seven, eight hours without getting any carbs prior to participating in Uh, some strength training or an endurance event in particular, you might feel the difference. So that's where you'll want to be a little bit more particular about positioning and how you spread your carbs out. And then just for practicality, I, I do get asked this a lot from runners. How do I build muscle? Don't underestimate the importance of timing your resistance training. So there's nothing wrong with double dipping and doing endurance training and doing resistance training. But there is something wrong with scheduling a heavy leg day right before your long running day. (laughs) That's (laughs) that's not going to work out so well. So usually, you you have a little bit more leeway with your upper body. Um, You can use a little bit more freedom in scheduling upper body splits. And some people work their full upper body, you know, twice a week. Other people do actually a more classic bodybuilding strength training split where they're breaking up, you know, push, pull or back and chest and arms, shoulders, etc. However, you want to break that up. That's pretty easy to navigate. But you really want to know what your running schedule is going to be. So that way you can more judiciously um, schedule the day that you're going to work lower body because your lower body shouldn't be ignored. But if you're going to also be putting in, you know, 30, 40, 50, depending on what your goals are, miles that week, you're going to have to balance the intensity of your lower body training and in particular, the timing of it. So you'll want to schedule that when you're going to have a few deload days on your runs and, uh, and you'll do well with that. So if you combine those things, look at the individual, I mean, I kind of call it the, how's that working for you principle? <laughs> Reverse engineer. Um, w- with what you're eating, are you gaining muscle? Yes or no? And if the answer is no, despite doing everything quote unquote right, what the experts say, what the gurus say, if you're not gaining muscle, your body needs more. So don't don't throw out the entire strategy, just add in small incremental increases, add a little bit more carbohydrates and a little bit more protein, and then reevaluate a few days later. Okay, are you seeing the changes you're after? If not, increase just a little bit more. And if you use that philosophy, you're going to land on the right spot. It's the same principle with how at NetPro we figure out what somebody needs to either gain weight or lose weight. We do it in reverse. If you want to lose weight and know what it takes to lose weight, I'm going to get you to lose weight and then recount here's what you are eating. So there's no arguments. There's no philosophies or opinions. It's just pure cold data. It's this is what you're eating to lose weight. Now we may look at that and say, unfortunately, that's not very sustainable. So we need to go with another strategy. Or we may say, hey, this is great. We have lots of room. There's no need to cut excesses because you're losing weight doing just this. With muscle development the same exact principles, figure out what you need to be doing to start building muscle and then add it up. And you go, okay, here's how many grams of protein on average. Here's how many grams of carbs, fats. Here's how I'm spreading it out throughout the day. And remember that your body can assimilate or optimally uptake about give or take 30 grams of protein in one sitting. So if you have the ability to do small servings spread throughout the day, you're going to be able to utilize your protein with a little bit more optimization than getting it all in one big sitting. So that's just another tip uh, to implement if muscular development is part of the equation. Awesome. Well, thanks
0: again, Angela, for sharing and keep up the great work there at MetPro. Thanks, Trevor. All right. Well, big thanks to Angelo for joining us to help answer that question. And uh, folks, be sure to check out MetPro over at metpro.co forward slash MTA. That's a .co, not a .com. You can get a free 30-minute consultation to see if they can help you uh, in your weight loss or body composition goals. That's metpro.co forward slash MTA. And that brings us to the end of this episode. There's probably still time to get your run in if you haven't done it today. So you can be like me and sometimes procrastinate it till the end of the day and go out at like five in the evening to run. (laughs) (laughs) But I actually got mine in earlier today and I'm feeling great.
1: Every time is the perfect time for running.
0: Thank you so much for being a listener to the podcast. You guys are awesome. Until next time, remember you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life.
3: Well on my way, well on my way.